Good morning, I'm Donna Quinn, and for the next half hour, you'll be listening to Talk of Our Towns. Today, we will be finding about, out about the Clatsop County Public Health Services and Programs here in our community. In Clatsop County, throughout Clatsop County, there's a brand new household hazardous waste disposal facility, which just opened in January. Um, and they're having uh, on Saturday, you can uh, go to that facility. And we're going to find out a lot about that, as well as the various public health services and programs offered by the uh, Clatsop County Public Health Department. The goal of the Public Health Department is to enhance the health of the community through their programs and services. And their four priority objectives um, to improve the health and quality of, of life in Clatsop County are to increase health literacy, strengthen public health infrastructure, build partnerships, and promote accountability. They have a lot to do. And here to talk about what they're doing is our Clatsop County Public Health Director, Mike McNichol. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to have you because you have some new things that are happening. And today we're going to learn about the overview of all the things you're doing and how things have changed over the six years that you have been uh, the Public Health Director. Uh, Before we talk about Clatsop County Public Health Department, please tell the listening audience about Mike McNichol. Sure. Uh, So I started my career um, in Bremerton, Washington, which is where I grew up. I started working for Kitsap County Public health were doing solid waste inspections so I was going out and making sure that people didn't have garbage spread all over the place um, and I sort of kept up with that I've worked in both the private and public sector at the state and local levels in public health um, most recently I was in Yamhill County as a public health director there and also I was the deputy director in Jefferson County Washington for a time up in the poor Townsend area so I have kind of a varied experience in regional at the local level also with uh, coastal communities like Port Townsend is very similar to Astoria. Um, then I uh, turned to, after Yamhill County, I came to work here and have been here for six years. And what did you study in order to be able to do what you do? Sure. So I first studied environmental studies at Western Washington University. Uh, then I pursued a master's in public affairs at Washington State. Uh, after that, a master's in public health from OHSU. And finally, I just finished my PhD and uh, in public health. Um, so those are some of the, pro- the the educational piece. But really, in public health is you kind of have to live it. You have to work it. You can't just go to school and learn about it. There's just too much to know. Um, so it's sort of over time, you become um, imbued with what public health is about. And uh, you be able to go, wow, that's just so deep and so broad that you kind of have to pick and choose the ones that you're interested in. But it's such a fascinating field from public health nursing and clinical to environmental health with going out and making sure your septic systems work and there's no garbage. It's a wide variety of things we do. You seem enthusiastic after six years here, and yeah, I just I just love this area. Uh, this is uh, I really like the people. Um, the opportunities that were given to me have been a blessing. All right, for those folks listening who may not know, what is the Clatsop County Public Health Department? How many employees you have, and sure. what are the things that you do? So uh, we have about uh, thirty-four employees. Now they're not all full-time; a lot of them are part-time and casual employees. Um, but really what we focus on are those things, uh, all public health. So we have a clinic, a full-time clinic, where we do immunizations, uh, sexually transmitted infection uh, treatment and uh, testing. Uh, we have communicable disease. So if someone gets sick, 
quick. We track those downs. Like we have quite a few TB cases still in our county. Um, we also have uh, health promotion staff who actually develop health promotion things from addictions and uh, mental health to uh, prescription drug overdose. Uh, things. Uh, we also have an environmental health staff, the folks who go out and check the food pool and lodging of the, in all the areas of Classic County to make sure when you go to a restaurant, you're not going to get sick. That's one of our goals. Um, we also check on the drink, small drinking water systems, make sure that they're safe for people who use those systems. Uh, and then we have a uh, strong harm reduction program now, and uh, we do a syringe exchange in three different places every week in Warrington, Story, and Seaside, um, where we try to help uh, those folks get into uh, services for their addictions, as well as indirectly through our distribution of naloxone is saving lives. We've demonstrated over 100 lives saved so far. Um, we also have a, a great WIC program, uh, the Women, Infant, and Children. Uh, we go to we have two locations, one in Astoria, one in Seaside, so those who are eligible for WIC services can get those. And uh, here we have, uh, especially in the clinic side, we do in the next couple of weeks will be school exclusions for those who are getting the letters saying their kids need to be immunized. Now's the time. Okay, and uh, your website, you have, a, a, there's a lot, uh, a lot of services, a lot mm -hmm. of programs that I think people may not be aware of. Uh, CHART, for example, is the Community Health Advocacy and Resource Team, and what is their mission? So the CHART uh, group is about 60 members strong. It, it comes from all different sectors of the county, from the private to the public, to uh, the emergency management folks, to police, to the sheriffs, to the parks. Um, we have representation from the hospitals, uh, private providers, and what the group is really about is trying to get work on several things as a group where we could troubleshoot problems in the community. For example, uh, when we were working with tobacco retail licensing, we use them as our sounding board about what policies would work, uh, trying to make sure the policies are sound. Uh, and we try to assign them things to get, they're basically our advisory board for public health. And we have such a wide variety of help from that. It really is a great way for our community to be involved in public health policy. Well, the thing is, a lot of times, a lot of these agencies, there are a lot of agencies that are here to help people, mm -hmm. but they don't, they're so busy doing their work that they're not necessarily communicating with each other. And so that's, that's one of the things that you all are trying to do. Yeah, we feel as, uh, as the uh, group that has the ability to pull these groups together, because we all have similar uh things that we do, uh, making sure that we have at least monthly, we get together and say what everybody's doing, how we can partner, how we can join, how we can leverage our resources to make these programs better. Um, and if anything news coming up, uh, then we can work on that. And talk to us a little bit about CHIP. Sure. You know, we have a lot of acronyms here. Yeah, so uh, the CHIP is called the Community Health Improvement Plan. Um, and that's an old document. We actually have a new one. It's on our website. It's called the RIP. So it's a regional health improvement plan. Uh, we actually work with Tillamook and Columbia counties, as well as uh, Columbia Pacific CCO, to put together a, a health improvement plan for the entire region. So we decided that was a better way to use our resources is to regionalize, because there are similarities between Tillamook, Clatsop in Columbia, and we really wanted to leverage the resources of Columbia Pacific CCO to make sure we had one that was solid. So both we have a raw and a RIP now, a regional health assessment that drives the regional health improvement plan, and both of those documents are on our website. What are the biggest challenges that you are facing um, with the Clatsop County Public Health Department? 
You know, I think right now is uh, several things. Uh, one is we always have to be aware of the uh, novelties that come along, like coronavirus. Um, there's a lot of effort being made at the state level to make sure we're prepared for the first case that we have in, in Oregon and what we would do about that. Um, and we're also always on the working tries to reduce um, the uh, disease burden for sexually transmitted infections, for example. We have a real strong regional program trying to drive down the uh, unusually high chlamydia, syphilis, and gonorrhea rates that we experience here. We're really trying to figure out how we can get uh, folks in to get them tested, treated, and then do it again to make sure we have this continuous thing going on to reduce these levels. Um, but I think one of the overarching one is the opioid epidemic that we're experiencing um, through our harm reduction program. You know, we've exchanged an, over a half a million needles so far in just two years in just our community of 38,000 people. Um, and, you know, we're not really touching not getting to the core of the problem, which is addiction at this level. Addiction could be alcohol, marijuana, heroin, whatever it is. Uh, you know, we just don't have the resources and probably never will for the mental health and addiction needs for this community. And so public health is there trying to make sure we get the referrals and the services that the folks need by building trust and going into those communities. But really, until we take those things seriously, that's going to be an ongoing issue. Yeah, we don't have the resources that we need here. And I think a lot of other counties are struggling as well. But in particular, the north coast of Oregon, we have challenges. Yeah, and the the problem with the, you know, the opioid ep epidemic is that when you are addicted, then all the other things that come with it, you have uh, mental health problems, you have family stresses, uh, you have sexually transmitted infections, you have homelessness, uh, you have social economic problems. So everything sort of nests together. And that's the issue is you can't just focus on the one thing. If we're really going to tackle it, we're going to have to look at it as a holistic problem. You can't just deal with one thing and then expect everything to fall into place. If you put all the resources and just opioid addiction, you're not dealing with the meth addiction, or you're not dealing with the cocaine addiction or the alcohol addiction. They're all addictions. So really, we're trying to figure out how we can partner better with Collapse of Behavioral Health and the mental health system to really try to bolster our effects and see if we can make a dent in this. And, and homelessness obviously has grown over the last many years. And how does that affect the public health department? So homelessness is a difficult one because we don't have a direct connection with homelessness. Uh, but we do offer services, especially like at the Homeless Connects event. We offer immunizations and we also offer referrals to all kinds of things. Some of those folks need mental health. Some of them don't. I mean, you know, it's individual to individual, right? There could be a, a, a myriad reasons why someone's unemployed and homeless and not necessarily just because they don't want to work. That's not probably what the real answer is. The answer is they have something going on in their lives that need to be addressed. So, um, and that's what we try to do is try to match the resources to the individual, not looking at all the stigma and shame that goes along with homelessness. Well, we're living in a very difficult time um, in our country and in the world. And, uh, and I think opiate addiction, that's kind of number one, it sounds like on your, on your list of things that you all have to, to work on. And, and it's not just like, oh, that person's on drugs, just that's a drug person. No, um, there are these realities like poverty and class and racism and social isolation and, and the past trauma, you know, sexual issues, all kinds of social inequities that factor into this. Absolutely. So, uh, Mike, what do you think can be done 
in terms of helping educate people and even the public who doesn't maybe uh, who is not uh, having challenges with opioid addiction, but they want to try to understand opioid addiction. I mean, mm-hmm. what what is the research showing about that? Yeah, so the research is showing that you know opioid addiction actually starts as something as innocuous as a dental visit. So in the past, when you would go to have dental pain, they would treat you and then they would give you a 60-day dose of opioids. A lot of those folks took it. And if you are an addicted personality or have a a prevalence for having addiction, you know, that was the starting point of their addiction with opioids. And mm-hmm. once that prescription runs out, if you're still addicted to that tox- that substance, you're going to move to heroin, which is less expensive and yet still meets that need. Um, so a lot of the folks that are opioid addicted started out with something just completely innocuous as a visit to the doctor. So um, pain, pain. Pain, right. And it could be either real pain or even just mental pain, right? Yes. You can have pain of the spirit, pain of the mentally, pain of the body. So uh, we have to realize that these pains are, a lot of these folks are self-medicating for a reason. They're experiencing pain, whether real or not. It's real to them. So we have to get beyond the shame and stigma that's placed upon these folks and try to get them the resources they need so they can get into rehab. Um, You know, we've had people come back from, in our harm reduction program, we've had some successes where people come back and actually thank us for saving their lives, basically. They've gone into rehab, you know, they're off the drugs, they're trying to make something new with their lives, and we've had about 40 people through that program. Now, we know that's not always a a permanent thing. It takes seven to nine times for someone who is addicted to actually break that habit, but we got to start somewhere. That's true, indeed. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Talk of Our Towns, and my guest today is Mike McNichol. He is the Public Health Director for Clatsop County Public Health Department. And we're talking about programs, uh, one of the big challenges, opioid addiction. And um, let's talk about something new that you were doing, which has to do with tobacco. Yeah, so um, as we know, uh, the Oregon coast has also another thing that we shouldn't be too proud of is we have one of the highest tobacco use rates among adults. Uh, state average is about 18% of the adult population smokes, and Clatsop County is 24%. So um, plus the with the vaping issues that have come up, the vaping epidemic, another epidemic, uh, the vaping epidemic, you know, Big Tobacco's goal with that was to attract kids to learn how to smoke. So, uh, so we've just what we did to try to stop this is uh, we developed a tobacco retail licensing ordinance that we passed at the county level that would make it so that all the retailers in Clatsop County would have to have a license, and that license allows public health inspectors to go in and make sure these retailers are following all the rules of Tobacco Twenty One, which is a state law saying you cannot sell to, to people under the age of twenty one. No one's doing those inspections at the state level or the federal level, despite the fact that it's now a federal law. So that's where public health, again, steps into the void, is where the, where the unfunded mandate is to go and try to make sure that we're keeping the cigarettes out of kids' hand. So that's why we decided we needed to pursue this at the county level. Well, cigarette smoking is one of the toughest addictions to break, I think. And and now we're talking about cigarettes as opposed to, like, um, you know, chewing tobacco or, I mean, is a... I mean, is that even popular Yeah, so anymore? Uh, tobacco should not be used by anybody under the age of 21. So tobacco uses uh, should not be sold to anyone under the age of 21, including smokeless or chewing tobacco, as we call it. Um, and actually, vaping products are not supposed to be either. So that's the, the problem, right, is you have folks, and we have, we've had discussions with all the high schools, and they all are having the same problems with the vaping, is that it's at an epidemic level in the schools. And they've developed products that you can actually see being used that they're vaporless. Uh, 
So they, they look like uh, USB devices or they look like a lipstick case or they look like a hoodie thing with one side of the little hoodie thing you smoke it in and the other string you blow it out. So this is what tobacco is trying to do. Is they're trying to get kids addicted to nicotine so in the future they're making new smokers. Um, And so this is discouraging, and yet um, you are still making an effort with this. So you will now have people going to inspect places where they sell tobacco. Yep. And much like someone who goes and and, and is saying, you know, are you getting identification if you're, you know, serving a drink and all of that, right? Exactly. So you're going to have to hire people then, No, actually, we're going to use our current folks, my environmental health specialists who already do food pool inspections. They already go to restaurants, do inspections, make sure the folks who sell food are following the food code. They already have inspection uh, special abilities and schooling, so they're going to go ahead and do that work. But it's not just about enforcement. What we really want to do is educate these retailers. So the first part is going to do is an educational piece about what does tobacco 21 look like? How does it affect you? What are the things you need to look for? This is how your shop needs to set up so you meet the goals. And then we'll do those um, unannounced visits to make sure they're actually following those rules. Well, how do we educate kids in the schools about um, opioids and tobacco and, and things that are causing the the huge social problems of our day. Yeah, so that's going to be, it's a, a, a partnership between us and the schools. We've had uh, communication with all the superintendents of the schools. We go to their meetings, and they actually asked us for some help on, on the vaping issue. We gave them some policy directives and some things they can do. Um, but more education is needed, right? Because we've talked to focus groups of teens, and they say that, you know, that vaping is cool. So they're already, you know, have bought into the, all the YouTube videos and all the things that's been produced by Big Tobacco to try to draw them in. So we got to change that narrative and say, no, it's not cool. This is what it leads to. Inevitably, these folks turn to smoking. So um, that's what we're trying to get to is trying to educate the kids saying, yeah, your friends and so on may be doing this, but this is the long-term effects. You know, we've had over 8,000 or even 10,000 injuries of smoking, vaping with permanent lung damage and many deaths. So it's not just safe for everybody either. So there's evidence that this stuff is not safe to smoke. So it's just an ongoing process, right? We just got to keep up with it. And you got to figure out how are the kids getting their information? Mm-hmm. You know, it's through their phones and through everything. And then with all the fake news stuff, I mean, it's so, oh, that's it's hard a to challenge. Through that. You know, we've decided to actually take on social media. We have an Instagram page. We have a Facebook page. Um, I have a person on staff who, ex- who actually d- develops documentaries for PBS. So she has those skills and we're trying to right. penetrate with messages, trying to get to those kids with things saying, this is what's really going on. To Big Tobacco is going to, is is actually influencing you. Is that what you want? So that's what we're trying to get to. Oh, good on you for the work you're doing. So <laughs> important. And now, I, now I'd like us to now talk about your brand new uh, Clatsop County Hazardous uh, Household, Hazardous Waste Program mm-hmm. and what that is. So this has been a, a long labor of love. Uh, this has been a 10-year project in the making. Uh, we built the facility out on an old abandoned landfill out by the transfer station across from CMH Stadium. So it's pretty, it's reusing property that otherwise couldn't be used. Um, the facility is uh, designed to uh, collect and store and then transport house hazardous waste, which includes things like old paint, old paint thinner, uh, used oil, used antifreeze, uh, fluorescent bulbs, batteries, um, propane tanks, 
just a long list of things that we do take. And what we're trying to do is really is get those materials out of the usual waste stream instead of going to the transfer station to a landfill where all those chemicals will then drain into the neighboring uh, water table. This actually gets them out of, the pro- out of that stream and they actually recycle them and reuse the products like the little batteries. They turn them apart. They take out the stuff they can use and then reuse them. Um, it's a great program. It's free to all residents of Clatsop County. They can come in and drop their stuff off. They don't even get out of their car. They just come in and we take it from them. And so it just opened last month. Opened last month. We had our first event. Yep. And the next event, the next day, is this Saturday from 9 to 2. Correct. Yes. And people can drive out and they can drop off. So here are here's a list. Mm-hmm. I found a list on your yeah. website of material accepted. So do you want to tell us what is accepted at the household hazardous sure. waste disposal? So light ballast, those are the things you find in your fluorescent uh, tubes, cleaners, disinfectants, uh, art hobby chemicals, propane tanks, solvents and thinners uh, like paint thinners, uh, compressed gas cylinders like the kind used for your barbecue, uh, pool and spa chemicals. Sometimes those are usually the bromines or the uh, chlorines and so forth. Uh, Gasoline, diesel that you don't need, poisons, fertilizers, aerosol products, uh, pesticides, herbicides, flammable solvents, um, anything that contains mercury, old thermos. Uh, thermometers, thermometers, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, fluorescent lights, antifreeze, and batteries of any kind. Um, and some of the other things, one of the things we don't collect, uh, anything with asbestos in it, we will not accept. Right. I saw that. So um, let's see. So, the yeah, you don't accept uh, used uh, unused medications, pharmaceuticals, right. syringes, general garbage, or asbestos. Correct. But there's a lot you do accept. And and I guess we should also talk about, like, the definition of a hazardous waste, which is... Um Go ahead, if you want to. So hazardous waste is something that uh, can cause injury to yourself or others or animals or plants um, that you just don't want to be spilled or dumped improperly. Um, You know, if you have paint thinner, that stuff is toxic to most things. You want to make sure that the thing is taken care of in an appropriate way. And that's what the Household Hazardous Waste Facility will do. Um, It's a great service. Um, If you're doing spring cleaning this spring and you go through your garage and go, wow, look at all that old paint I don't want anymore. This is a great opportunity to get rid of it. Absolutely. Because um, actually, maybe some of us aren't aware about what we can what we should not be doing with hazardous waste. And and it can. And again, hazardous waste is any solid or liquid product, which uh, could be flammable or combustible, explosive or reactive, corrosive or caustic, toxic or poisonous, radioactive. Oh, my gosh. And um, and and like you said, most of them are cleaners, paints. Uh, stainers, uh, staining uh, products, thinner Mm -hmm. products, pesticides, herbicides, automotive or recreational boat fluids, arts and crafts related solvents and thinners and rechargeable batteries. Right. And so a lot of folks don't realize that you should not put any hazardous waste down the home drains. um, Or in your garbage can. Or in your garbage can or street stormwater drains because, you know, improper disposal may not be easily, you know, uh, immediately obvious, right, about what it does, but it pollutes water. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it puts chemicals in our sewage and septic t- uh, systems and all of that. Correct. So, you know, if you put thinners or any kind of these toxic substances into your sewer system, if you're on a sewer system, you know, that material is not going to be processed appropriately by the waste treatment plant and the eventual location is the river or the ocean. And so you're basically just dumping it right into the ocean would be basically the same thing. So that's why we want to have it treated properly. They take it, they reuse it, they clean it up, and then they can resell it. 
like the paint is a great example. Some, all these old latex paints that lay around. Actually, that's all collected in a place in Portland. And you can go to Portland and actually buy this used paint. This is as good as any other paint at a way reduced price, as mm. long as you like the color beige. Oh, okay. <laughs> as long as you like the color beige. Okay. All right. So um, fluorescent and compact light bulbs or tubes can be tuned in, turned yep. in and UV bulbs and neon lights and all that. All that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So um, what are some actions that people can take to not only, I mean, yes, I think most people probably do have old cans of paint and things lying around that they that they don't really know what to do with or, or they've outlived their, you know, useful purposes. Um, so what can people do? What are some actions people can take? Um, so, you know, you can uh, check out the local resource guide. We have that on our website. Um you know, there are paint care facilities around. So wherever you buy your latex paint, you can actually turn in products that are still reusable. They have some restrictions. They can't be old and rusty cans and, you know, all kinds of crusty stuff in it. But if, if that's the case, you can still take it to the House House Waste Facility. Um, you know, some of the other thing you can do is re- reduce the amount that you buy in the first place. Um, that way, you know, use the amount you're going to use. Don't buy 10 gallons of Costco if you only need one. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, we're going to do with the other nine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, before buying, read the label so you can make sure you buy something that's less toxic. Uh, you know, the bleaches and the ammonia products and all that stuff, they're pretty toxic. You can use uh, vinegars and other things that has the same killing effect on bacteria without all the caustic materials. Uh, look into green alternatives um, and give them a try. Most work just as good. So as the stuff that you can buy usually, and when you store your hazardous materials, put them in a safe place, you know, keep them out of the hands of children, your pets, um, and don't dump them illegally. Don't throw them in the garbage. Don't throw them in the middle of your yard. Don't dump them in the drain. Don't dump them in the river. All those things don't do. Um, and then if you do have a friend or a neighbor who might need some paint, ask them if they could use yours. If it meets the right color, you just solved your problem. Oh, well, that's a good idea. Yeah, and we're so lucky. Now we have our the brand new Astoria Co-op just reopened. They have a, mm-hmm. they have a lot of alternative uh, uh, cleaners Absolutely. and chemical-free products, Yeah, it's, which we can use. Which you can use, and it's, it's far better for the environment as well as you physically. Those toxic chemicals are not just toxic to the environment. They're toxic to humans, so it's better not to use them. Right. So we just have a few minutes left, Mike. Sure. So what else would you like the listening audience to know about about the Classic County Public Health Department um, or things that you're excited about, things that you're concerned about? I mean, what other kinds of things should we be aware of? Sure. So, you know, I think um, in the end, uh, you know, I'd like to make sure that people know that public health here, public health is here for folks if they have questions of any kind. Um, You know, if you're concerned about the coronavirus, call us. If you have concerns about your physical health or, you know, if you have questions about your sexual health, give us a call. Um, If you have questions about, you know, do I need immunizations? All those things can be dealt with. You know, we really are a resource for the entire community and we have a, a great amount of staff with an amazing amount of expertise and skill and knowledge that we can find those answers for you. Um, and I think that it's important to make sure that uh, folks know that you know we are the, the safety net for the county as well. So we're there to help you every day, protecting you and protecting the environment. Yes. And it's not just for you know, people who are struggling with opioids or uh, whatever other issues, it's for the entire Clatsop County, all residents. You have, um, you can offer something to everyone, really. I can offer something to everyone. Yeah. Yep. Um, so a listener just called and said something about Metro Recycled Paint, that they have a whole spectrum of colors available now. Oh. So 
There we go. Recycled so, paint. I guess apparently you can get them in colors from the last time I thought you could just get beige. Okay. So that's good. So again, I think you're right. We have to educate ourselves too. I mean, our health is our responsibility too. Mm-hmm. And um, and we can't just turn it over. But I know there is a lot of distress. Um, there, The news, of course, makes people feel like, oh, they, they need to vacate their lives. And, and if they can't afford a vacation, then sometimes they think, how do I alter my state of consciousness? Because they are in psychic pain. And Correct. that's what's happening in the world today. And I think you're right about how do we remo- remove the stigma? Because everyone is suffering in some way. That's right. You know, we need to start treating each other how you want to be treated. And you got to remember that we all have to live here. We all need to get along. You know, we all need to be healthy, happy, and successful. Um, and the only way to do that is really start dealing with, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And we have to take care of our tribe. And Classic mm-hmm. County, that's where we live. This is our tribe. And certain tribal members need more help than others. That's correct. And, uh, and at some point, we all need help. So it's how we work together. So you have a huge job, Mike. And um, thank heaven you have the the enthusiasm and the passion and the desire to do what you're doing. So thank you for making such a positive difference sure. for everyone here. And I really want to make sure that my my staff gets the uh, credit there's due because I have a, probably the best staff that you'll see in the state of Oregon, if not anywhere, who can make this happen. Yes, and largely unrecognized. I mean, Absolutely. you're doing this very powerful, important work for public health, for, for Clatsop County. And so please, yes, kudos to... Uh, the staff of the Clatsop County Public Health Department. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, I want to thank all of you who listened to Talk of Our Towns and my gratitude to Dylan Hauserschock, the amazing Dylan Hauserschock, who is uh, not only an engineer, but just a very fine human being and a wonderful young person in this community. He's making grimaces and lots of terrible faces. Um, And I also want to... (laughs) I also want to express my gratitude to local talented banjo instructor Michael Brunn for his original theme music for this program. Until next week, find a moment for yourself. In fact, let's take that moment right now and let's all take a very deep breath. It is so good for body, mind, and spirit. And then... With gratitude, focus on the things that are going well in your life. There will always be things that aren't going well. Focus on the things that are with gratitude. And then give yourself a loving and compassionate hug or a pat on the back for being uniquely you, for doing the best you can, and for being here now in the only moment which exists, the now moment, on the amazing planet we call Earth. (laughs) 